Hey there, and welcome to Therapy FAQ. I'm your host, Tom Paulus. You're listening to part three of my three-part interview with John Fredrickson. If you didn't catch part one, go back to episode four, and then listen to episode four, five, and this is episode six to catch the whole three-part series. I hope you enjoy this last segment. kind of got into this but like what are the differences between say how someone might come into therapy and then start getting depressed or some of the other mechanisms they might use like you're starting to describe where they start using other mechanisms like maybe denial or delusion or something like that how might those different quote-unquote defenses present differently and part of what I'm asking about is like the different resistance systems you've helped us learn yeah, about yeah basically Basically, all of us suffer from the same sorts of struggles in life, right? We right. all want emotional closeness. Feelings get stirred up. Uh, we mm. all have to cope with illness. We have to cope with loss. We have to cope with disappointment, right? And, and these feelings in the course of relationships, professional life, and friendships, these feelings, um, if they're high enough, will cause anxiety. Mm. And if that anxiety is high enough, then we have ways... Uh, that we will try to avoid uh, the truths of our life. We'll have ways of avoiding the feelings and issues that are coming up. And we do that through what we call defenses. Now, interestingly, what we've discovered is that we humans seem to have three basic ways uh, of avoiding feelings. We have a group of people that detach. So if you ask a fellow, um, yeah, what are you feeling? He might say, well, I think it was just a, a, a midlife issue, right? So he'll offer a thought. He'll offer a reason for feeling. Or if you ask what his problem is, he says, well, I think it's just a kind of an in general kind of a problem. He'll be vague. So there's a group of people where deal with difficult feelings and particularly difficult relationships. They deal with their feelings and relationships by detaching from their feelings and detaching from other people. Mm. And when they detach from other people and have detached relationships, they start to get mildly depressed because mm. when they're kind of cut off from their emotions, they're also cut off from their passions. And so life doesn't feel meaningful. Relationships don't feel meaningful. And so there's kind of a low grade kind of depression. That's because they're really detached from feelings, detached from people, and thus really detached and cut off from life. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, about 30% of people who come to therapy suffer from this habitual pattern of detaching. They don't detach on purpose. It's just, it's just a habit. And so we have to help them because otherwise you know, their spouses complain because they seem detached or they seem up in their head or they're on, on the Internet or they're watching the TV, but they're unengaged. Right. We have another group of people where they handle feelings in a different way. They'll, they'll be very nice to you and say, I like you, but they'll be very self-critical of themselves. They'll mm -hmm. critique themselves. They'll doubt themselves. Um, and so what happens, what you find is that they're never angry at anyone else. They like everybody else. Uh, 
But the way they deal with anger in relationships, which they might not even be aware of, is that when they're when they're frustrated or angry, they just keep liking the other person and then turn the anger on themselves. And then they, these are people where they will get a self attack or self very self critical, and and they're and they become they become chronically depressed. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, what it is is they've learned to protect a person they love from their anger by turning mm-hmm. it on themselves. So these are often people that are very pleasing. They have trouble saying no to anyone because mm-hmm. they want to please the other and protect the other from their no, protect the other from a different point of view, and protect them from their irritation and anger. So these patients mm-hmm. oftentimes are not even aware of their anger because they immediately without their awareness, become very self-critical and become depressed. And it's a way mm-hmm. they protect the people they love by turning anger on them on themselves. Mm-hmm. And then we have another group where the way they deal with these difficult feelings is they split them apart. Because mm-hmm. remember, the problem we have in relationships is we usually, we start feeling angry with someone we love, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, no matter how much we love someone and no matter how much that person loves us, they're not always going to do what we want. They're not always going to agree with us. Uh, they're, they're, they, may, uh, they may really disagree with strongly enough that we can't reach an agreement. That's, that's frustrating. It triggers ang- anger, of course. Mm-hmm. So the problem is, can we tolerate being angry at times with the, with the people we love the most in the world? Mm-hmm. And, and of course, with detached people, what they do is they detach from their feelings and actually they detach from people to avoid being in touch with those mixed feelings. The person who gets depressed is aware of her love for you, but she protects, because she loves you, she protects you by turning, turning anger on herself. Mm-hmm. Now, and, and, and when people use splitting projection, what happens, they have trouble tolerating these mixed feelings. So they mm-hmm. split them apart. And so instead of saying, gee, I'm, I'm angry with him, I'm angry with her, but I love her, uh, the guy who splits won't say that. He'll just say, I'm angry with her. I think she's a bitch. He'll view her as all bad. Right. And because of his inability to tolerate that he loves someone that he's angry with, he'll split off the love. He'll deny that he loves her in that moment and just say, she's a bitch. Right. Mm. Maybe he yells at her. Maybe he even abuses her. Right. But what we see is he's actually not relating to her. He's relating to an all bad image of her because when he splits off his love, he also splits off all the memories uh, of everything good and loving she's done. Mm. And you can see this with women sometimes who split where uh, a relationship ends. She had loved this guy. They've been together. But when the relationship ends, she just says, he's just a piece of crap. He's no good. I should have known. And so what you mm-hmm. see is like she forgets that this she obviously loved him, so obviously had some good qualities. But in the wow. face of her anger, it's as if her anger erases all the good memories and everything good about him. So she then relates to an all bad image of him. Uh-huh. So this is a this is a pattern we sometimes see where the mixed feelings of feeling love towards someone you're angry with are, are so painful and difficult to bear that the patient will then view the other person as all bad. Or 
they may do the opposite say oh you're all good you're all good you're all good because they're they're afraid of what will happen if they're angry with you because when they have so much trouble tolerating a little anger towards someone they love they'll start to split and so they may just try to hold on to an idealized image of you being all good and they're just feeling pure love to avoid the really human experience we have is that we are we love our loved ones very much but they can be frustrating and our loved ones love us and sometimes we're frustrating for them and so we have mixed feelings they do too and and how do we manage that dance and we're seeing there's three strategies one is some people detach from the feelings some protect people they love by turning anger on themselves and then we have this other group where they split the love and uh, and anger apart um you see this uh, oftentimes with certain politicians who will yeah. talk about people of the opposite party as if they're all bad or yeah. uh, call country shitholes and, and things like that. Yeah. These would be examples of splitting that sadly are not uncommon in, in politics. Right. Right. And um, where does, uh, there's one defense that that we learned about that was so cool. And I remember you were saying it was cool too. And I, I really could see this. Um, there's one def- a type of projection called externalization. Where does that fit in these mm-hmm. three uh, groups here? Uh, maybe I assume it, all these can occur across the spectrum. But uh, that one's kind of an interesting one because it looks like they're feeling their feelings. But it's like, wait a second. I don't think that's what's going on here. Um, I didn't know if you could talk about that one as well. Sure. Well, picture a patient who comes in and this patient spends their time complaining about other people. Mm-hmm. and blaming other people for their difficulties. So they will go on, they'll have a rant. They'll rant about how other people are so terrible to them uh, and complain about how people treat them. And, and in a sense, um, sometimes even the patient will say, could you tell me how to heal my spouse? Mm. Right? My spouse is a cause of my problems. My spouse needs to change. So this is an interesting situation. Why do we have emotional, uh, why do we have um, uh, psychological problems and symptoms? Well, we have feelings. Those feelings trigger anxiety in us. And we use defenses. And our defenses cause our symptoms and suffering. Now, but if the patient is not aware of her defenses, She's trying to figure out, well, something is causing my suffering. Uh And so if I'm suffering when I'm with someone and I don't see my defenses that cause my suffering, naturally, I'll assume since I'm suffering with you, Uh you must be causing my suffering. Uh So this is a case where the patient, since she doesn't see the defenses that cause her suffering, she is suffering. She needs to make sense of her life. So to make sense, if she can't see the defenses and if she's suffering with you, she will assume you are causing her suffering or perhaps her boyfriend or husband is causing her suffering. And so in cases like this, we call it externalization because she's saying that the cause of my difficulties are not the defenses inside me. It's a person outside me. Someone else is causing my difficulties. Someone else is responsible for my difficulties. So all I can do is wait 
for that person to change. But then that patient makes herself the hostage of the other person's neurosis. So oftentimes what we have to do is pay attention to the what the patient blames uh, the other person for, because we have to help her see what are the defenses. So if the patient says, my husband never listens to me and so on and so forth, we've heard the first gift from the unconscious therapeutic alliance. Ah, she says her husband doesn't listen to her. Let's see, is there evidence that she is actually not listening to herself? So later when you're exploring feelings, she says, I I don't want to talk about that. And then you might say, well, I notice when I invite you to talk about the feelings, you say you don't want to talk about that. Could that be a way that you're not listening to your own feelings? Mm -hmm. Could that be a way that you ignore your feelings and ignore yourself, right? Where you're beginning to help the patient see actually she is having trouble listening to herself. She's actually ignoring herself. So usually with people who externalize themselves, it's useful to make a list of their accusations because then you can find out how are the patient, how is the patient actually doing that to herself? It's a way the unconscious is supervising us, letting us know the defenses she attributes to him are actually hers, but she doesn't see them yet. And can we help her see the way she neglects herself? Then we can begin to see the things she does that causes her suffering. Now, this is not to negate the fact that there are some patients who are really suffering, for instance, if they have an abusive spouse, right? Mm. So we have to be very mindful of that if a patient has a spouse that's yelling at her or threatening her or stalking her or beating her or otherwise, that is a real stimulus that cannot be denied. That would be different from externalization because that would be an actual event that's happening and we have to help her face the feelings toward the abuser and help her her face those feelings so she doesn't have anxiety of the feelings so that she can channel her anger into effective action to protect herself. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, I I was recently talking to a friend who was, uh, he was working on getting help for his daughter, who was like a teenager, and the daughter was barging, didn't want to come to the therapy session, but was barging in, demanding that he get off the call or she would actually threaten to hurt herself. And um, he said she'd never gone through with that, but she was saying, you don't care about me. You don't, you don't care about me because you're not getting off the zoom call right now, but it would happen every time you would try to do mm-hmm. something else. So it, I was wondering, Oh, this sounds like it could be actually an example of this kind of thing that you're describing where it's externalized. You don't right. care. about. Well, And also how fascinating, because she says, get off the phone, right? Uh And then Uh if she can convince him to get off the phone, he actually will have fulfilled her prophecy. Because by Uh getting off the phone and not talking to the therapist, he will have demonstrated that he didn't care about his daughter enough to talk to the therapist. Exactly. Yeah. Right? So in that sense, she's get off the phone, I'm going to kill myself, right? She's intimidating him. But then if he gets off the phone, he actually will fulfill her, her accusation. So he actually has to stay on the phone and set up the, uh, set up the appointment. Right. And maybe the way in the past, actually, there's a little delay. Sorry. Uh, There's a, uh, 
the way in the past that he um, didn't care actually was maybe by never saying no, actually. So in a way, she's telling the truth, you know, in, in a sense. Yep. So, yeah. And he has to say no to her by staying right. on the phone. Right. And he has to say no to her so that she finds that it's safe to be angry with him. Because right now, the, of course, if she sees a therapist, the therapist has to help her feel the anger toward her father. So mm. she doesn't turn the anger on herself in the form of suicidal ideation. Right. And that if he can be able to set a firm no with her, then she learns, oh, you're strong enough to stand up to my anger. So mm. I don't have to protect you from my anger by getting suicidal. Mm. Which is caring. And that's really, yeah, which is a great example of why sometimes you have to treat both the parent and the child because there's an in, in interaction. Right. Right. Um, well, this has just been fabulous. I realize we're at time here, um, but what a great, what a great summary so much here to unpack. And uh, yeah, be sure to listen to all three episodes. If you're listening to this, um, we're going to split it up between three. So um, if you're at the, th- third one there's a couple before this all right thank you so much john well thank you so much for inviting me wonderful time Thanks for joining us for another episode of Therapy FAQ. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope to see you again next time.